Good morning, City Church. How are you guys doing this morning? One day. One day. <laughs> um, for those of you who don't know who I am, Rachel said it earlier, just a moment ago earlier, uh, that my name is Bodie. I'm Bodie Sanders. I'm a teaching pastor here at City Church, and I'm also the youth pastor here at City Church. And it is such a joy and such an honor uh, to be with you guys and able to share with you guys this morning, especially in this Advent season. So over the last couple of weeks, we have been uh, journeying along on this Advent journey. In week one, um, we started talking about this longing for hope that we have in a world that is full of despair. In week two, Pastor Matt talked to us about our longing for peace in a world that is just full of chaos. And as you can probably tell on the screen behind me, this morning we are going to be talking about our longing for joy in the midst of sorrow. If you go to the dictionary, the best working definition that we have for joy as a human race is simply this, a feeling of great pleasure and happiness. If you Google it, you're going to find something that says something similar to, to that. And, and that's fine. It's good. It's short. It's concise. It's simple. But at the end of the day, that's not just the type of joy that our souls are truly longing for. So anytime I have an opportunity to um, speak with you as the big church is what we call it in youth ministry, um, I, I want to take that opportunity to kind of update you on our family. And the best way that I can do that is to tell you a story about one of my three kids. And so this morning, I want to tell you a story about my youngest, Micah. So Micah um, hasn't always been all that big on uh, the season of Christmas, like all of the, the chaos and the, and the hoopla and the energy that surrounds this season has always just kind of weirded him out a little bit. And um, Micah is the youngest of our three. And, um, and so, so it's always just kind of been a little bit weird for him, a little too much for him at times. But something has shifted in the last couple of years. In fact, I would say that Micah has made a complete 180 when it comes to Christmas. He now loves everything about the season of Christmas. He loves the Christmas tree. And in fact, this year, he wanted the tree to go up before Rachel, my wife, which is pretty astonishing because she wants it to go up like the week after Labor Day. Um, they're both like, oh, brown leaf on the ground. That must mean it's Christmas time. And I'm like, guys, this is insane. We can't do this. We've got a couple of other holidays before we get to this Christmas time, right? Um, Micah's all about the gifts. He used to not be about the gifts. Even tearing open the paper kind of scared him a little bit, but, but he's all about the gifts now. He's all about Jeffy, our elf on the shelf, and all of his antics. And, and, and new to this year, Micah is all about the season's greetings. Um, I'll explain to you what I mean. A few weeks ago, I needed to run to one of our local hardware stores, Home Depot. Have you ever heard of it? Um, yeah, so I needed to go pick up a few things. And so Rachel and I loaded Micah into the car and we made our way to a quaint Mexican restaurant here in Tulsa called On the Border. I don't know if you've heard of that one either. Basically, we are basic. Um, and so uh, we grabbed dinner and then made our way to Home Depot's parking lot where I was just gonna jump out of the car, run in real quick, 
quick and grab what I needed. But Micah uh, from the back seat shouts, I want to go in with you, daddy. And I'm like, of course, bud, you can come in with me. Like, this is guy stuff. You know, like, like, let's go like shop at Home Depot. This is what men do. Right. And so um, that is like, I'm not teaching my son that, I promise. Um, so anyways, uh, I grab Micah and we go running into the store and I'm just going to be in there for a few minutes or so, I thought. But as soon as we walk into the door, uh, Micah just has this big <gasps> gasp in, in, in him and he notices the Christmas trees that are all set up in displays. He sees the lights twinkling all across the store and he sees the lawn decorations that are all set up that all signify the season that we are in. And in that moment, my son's joy that he was experiencing could not be contained. The wonder of this season just overtook him. And so we spent the next several minutes walking aisle after aisle as my son would look at anybody that he passed and shouted. And now here's the deal. Micah's not my biological son. We adopted Micah, but somehow we both got an equal trait that we are very loud and obnoxious and, um, and our voice carries. And so Micah, as we're walking the aisles of Home Depot with his raspy little voice, every person that we passed, he shouted at them, happy Christmas. Now, at first, I was like, like leaning down to him and like, bro, play it cool, man. Like, like, let's chill out. But by happy Christmas number 130, I was like, dude, I'm, I'm bought in. I'm here with you. I'm like looking at the people that he's shouting happy Christmas to. And like, yeah, bro, like, he, like, like what he said, happy Christmas, okay? And uh, but here's the thing. My, my son's wonder and joy just like captivated this store, this, this quaint little hardware store in Tulsa, Oklahoma. And and by the end of it, he had just taken over all the workers, all the people that were there shopping. Like, he, like there was just a buzz around the store because my son was screaming happy Christmas at the top of his lungs. There was such a buzz that I thought at any moment we might break out in song here, people. Like, like this is going, like, am I in a movie? Are you a paid actor? Like, I, I thought you were my kid, you know? But, but <laughs> here's the thing. My son's joy in this season caused him to scream out happy Christmas in Home Depot and it didn't stop there like it is so unbelievably cute to watch my son like scour the 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 Tulsa Metro and say happy Christmas to everyone that he runs into and so I would never crush my son's spirits by saying to him what I'm about to say to you but you're adults so prepare yourselves at the end of the day for the believer in Jesus Christ happiness is not our ultimate goal. Our happiness is so connected to our circumstance. Happiness is fleeting and it's fickle. We can be as high as high itself in one moment. Like me, 15 minutes before my kids get up, we finally entered this season uh, where it's cool in the mornings, you know? And so I love to, to light a fire in the fireplace and just sit there with my cup of coffee. I wish I could say I was doing something spiritual. Most of the time, I'm probably perusing a Florida State football website. Yeah, that's my team. Don't 
don't care. Hate me if you want. But, 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 but like there's a, there's a joy and a happiness that's there in that moment. And you guys probably have your same things that, that, that this just brings me delight. This just brings me happiness. This just brings me joy. But you know just as well as I know that as we go throughout the course of our day, maybe we run into a person that's just slightly annoying to us, or maybe we don't like as much as we should. We love them, of course, because Christ has called us to love everybody. But man, I don't know if I like you that much. Uh, maybe, maybe you've been cut off in traffic or whatever, but, but we feel our happiness meter just tick down as the day goes on. And that's not always true, but that tends to be the case a lot of times. Like, like, and, and this is the deal, guys. It's, this isn't me knocking happiness. I love to be happy. I love to laugh. I like to think of myself as a happy person, but I'm not happy all the time and neither are you. There has to be something deeper within us because we know this to be true. Happiness cannot sustain us. Often we pursue happiness as if it's the prize, but happiness cannot sustain us, especially in a world full of so much grief, so much suffering, so much brokenness, so much sorrow. Happiness in my experience is the surface emotion, but deep inside our truest longing is joy. Deep within our souls, there is a longing for something more that can sustain. As followers of Christ, we believe that living in and for Jesus is the source that fulfills that longing. You see, this longing is for joy in the Lord, a joy that comes from that relationship between creator and created, a joy that only Jesus gives. And not only can he give, this, give us this joy, but he does give us this kind of joy. In the Gospel of John, chapters 13 through 17 is what we call the Upper Room Discourse. If you've never read that, man, go check it out. It's really great. It's rich theology, and man, it is just Jesus talking to his followers. But we find smack in the middle of this, John chapter 15 and verse 11. And these are words right out of the mouth of Jesus. This is what Jesus says. These things I have spoken to you that my joy may be, may be in you and that your joy may be full. And it's like, man, that is so great. Sign me up for that. Like, where, where do I sign? Where's the dotted line? I want this. I want to know what joy and full joy actually feels like. But before Jesus says these words, he has a lot to say to us about abiding on being with him, near him, in proximity, in discipleship with him. The closer we walk with Jesus, the more uh, real true joy becomes to us in our lives. I want to read to you guys a quote from Eugene Peterson, and I want you guys to like open your ears real quick and listen to what he says, because this is profound. Eugene says, joy is not a requirement of Christian discipleship. It is a consequence. Let that set in today. Joy is not a requirement of Christian discipleship. It is a consequence. It is not what we have to acquire in order to experience life in Christ. It is what comes to us when we are walking in the way of faith and obedience. If ever you feel like joy is lacking in your life, I would urge you to stop and take stock, ask some questions like, where am I in my discipleship? With Jesus? Have I gotten myself off center? What am I doing or not doing to affect the joy 
in my life. Because guys, here's the truth. Jesus wants us to take delight in our relationship to the Father just as Jesus delights in his relationship with the Father. And this Father who is God is joy personified. And as we commune, as we delight, as we draw close to him, that joy is just a consequence. It just kind of happens to us as we draw closer to Jesus. Jesus gives us joy and that joy is full or that joy is complete to say it another way or lacking nothing. It's lacking nothing. This is the kind of joy that I think the apostle Peter had in mind as he sit and penned his first chapter of his first letter to the church. Um, and this is what Peter writes. First Peter chapter one, starting in verse three. He says, blessed be the God and father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. And pause for a moment. So we um, look at Peter as he gazes on the work that Christ has done in his life. And we've covered Peter here at City Church so many times that I don't need to touch on how big of a train wreck he was in the beginning stages of following after Jesus, right? Um, but we see Peter as he is just looking back at what Christ has done in his life. He invites us to do the same. So as we look at the work that Christ has finished on our behalf, that we now stand in right standing with God the Father. And as we look at the work that Jesus is doing in our lives now in this moment, sanctifying us, making us more and more like him each and every day. It says that, that, that this is going to draw out praise and glory and honor in our lives. And then Peter goes on to say this, to kind of close up this section. Listen to these words. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not see him, you believe in him and rejoice with what? Joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory. This joy that Jesus gives us, that the son of God gives us, it's a joy that is unspeakable, inexpressible, almost unfathomable, and it's full of glory. And this is the joy that we truly long for in our lives. We don't long to be filled by happiness that that meter ticks out and runs out each and every day. What we truly long for at the deepest of soul levels is a joy that can only be found in Jesus. So if we could go back to my son for a moment, Micah running around the streets of Tulsa and screaming happy Christmas to everyone he comes in contact with is really my son saying, find joy, receive joy that goes beyond comprehension. Now, just as a kid anticipating and longing for all the magic of the season we call Christmas, we, should, we too should walk in this kind of joyful bliss, right? 
Like we, we should be just like the kids that, that just walk in this bliss of the season that is Christmas time, which is one word, by the way. I don't know if y'all ever knew that. Um, it's a very long word. Um, but, but we should walk in this kind of bliss. But here's the rub. We know that this season of Christmas is held in tension. Just as Advent is moving from darkness to light, um, we know that this season is marked by other things, sorrow, Grief, frustration are just as much a part of this season for some of us as joy. Yes, Christ has came. Yes, I know Emmanuel, God with us has come. And this is a joyous season, but I thought I would be married by now. I thought that I would be married by now. And with each passing year, that flame seems to flicker a little less. Yes, Christ has come. Yes, there's joy in this season, but I thought my life would be different by now. I thought I would have more of this figured out. I thought that my trajectory would be up and to the right, but up to this point, it's been anything but that. Yes, there's Christ has come. Yes, I know Emmanuel, God with us, is here. And yes, this season is joyous, but I thought they would still be here right now. And the loss of that loved one or the loss of that relationship pierces me just as deep as joy does. I told you guys um, the last time I spoke to you um, about my dad who um, was diagnosed with liver cirrhosis um, midway through uh, the year 2015. Um, and over the next year and a half, I watched my father go from what he what appeared to be just like a healthy human being to knocking on death's door. And by Christmas of 2016, the week of Christmas in 2016, my dad had to be life flighted to Baylor Medical in Dallas, where he would have to live on machines because his body could no longer sustain him. His liver had basically completely shut down and we were in desperate need for a donor organ. And so I spent that week of Christmas, like it was, it was tiring exhausting. My brothers and I uh, would take, take turns going back and forth from Dallas back to the Tulsa area um, just to check on dad, to be with dad. Um, and man, there was a lot of fear. There was a lot of worry. There was a lot of like grieving that we were even doing in this moment because this is our father who is laying in this bed on these machines. And like, this is what's sustaining him right now. And um, so it was, it was hard. It was a hard season, but we got a call early in the morning, Christmas morning, 2016, and it was a call from OKC, Oklahoma City, and there was a, a, a donor organ in Oklahoma City that matched my dad perfectly. And so Baylor Medical loaded my dad, actually paid for him to be flighted back to Oklahoma, um, where we as a family met him on Christmas Day about 1030 in the morning and got to say prayers over him and sent my dad off into several hours of grueling surgery. But the surgery soon was complete and my dad was put into recovery and the recovery it was successful. And I can stand here and tell you today that my dad is healthier than I think he's ever been in his entire life. And that's, that's, that's worthy of praise. That's worthy of rejoicing. But here's why I tell you that story. It's not lost on me and the rest of my family that in order for my dad to have received a transplant, another life was lost. 
It's not lost on our family that for every thank you that we lifted up to heaven, that there was another family who was grieving in deep sorrow and asking why. And can I just say, neither of those seem fair, right? Like, like there will be a day that there is no more sickness. There will be a day that there is no more death, but that is not today, right? We live in a broken world. And so therefore we hold it in tension. There is tension in this season because our world isn't as it should be. We've talked about this over the last couple of weeks, but it's already and not yet. Yes, Christ has come. Yes, we are a part of the kingdom of God, but all things aren't complete and our world is still broken. And we feel this. We feel this every single Day. We see it on news outlets. We watch it on the streets. We see it in our homes for some of us. We feel the brokenness of the world every single day. It's easy to think that when things aren't going right, that our joy has died, that our joy is gone, like we don't have anything to rejoice about or be thankful for. There's a fairly obscure story in 2 Kings chapter 4 about a widow and her oil. This story has really captivated me for uh, a large part of my adult life. And the story goes something like this. You've probably heard it, so I'll give you as much of the Cliff Notes version as I can. But there was a widow who was a woman who was married to one of the sons of the prophets, and her husband dies, leaving her as a widow, right? And um, in her despair, in her grief, in her sorrow, she felt like everything was coming against her. Now, one of the prophets, Elisha, makes his way to her town because she calls for him. And she begins to tell Elisha about how her husband had passed away and now they had debts that she wasn't gonna be able to pay. And because of those debts, that creditors were going to be coming to take her sons into slavery. And Elisha asks her a simple question, what can I do for you? What do you have? And, and, and as Elisha asks that question, what can I do for you? What do you have? Do you know what her initial response is to the prophet? This poor widow who is grieving and suffering, her initial response is nothing. I have nothing. Now, in scripture, we read it that it's like nothing except this little jar of oil, right? But, but in that moment, her initial response is nothing. In her grieving, in her sorrow, she forgot that she had reason to rejoice. She had two healthy sons. She had a relationship with God. She had a community that was there to surround her. Elisha came from a long ways away to see how he could help this woman. But in her grieving, her initial response to what can I do for you? What do you have? Her initial response is nothing. So many of us forget that we have reason to rejoice even in the midst of sorrow. In this world, you will have trouble is what Jesus says. But then he says, take heart because I've overcome the world. We see trouble and we think that joy must be gone and I have to go find it. But I've been reading an Advent book for the last several years um, called The Dawning of Indestructible Joy. And there is something that I read in that every year that hits me right between the eyes. Pastor and author John Piper writes this about joy. The joy that Jesus came to bring us is from outside this world. 
It is the very joy that Jesus himself has in God the Father, which he has had from all eternity and will have forever. This is great joy and it cannot be taken away. It is indestructible. Ah, but it can go to sleep. Often we feel like we've lost joy and man, we've got to go find it. But, but joy isn't lost inside of you. Joy is a fruit of the spirit. It's love, it's joy, right? And then it's peace and then, then et cetera, et cetera. I would do the rest of them for you, but I have to sing the song still. And y'all, y'all don't want that. And nobody wants me to sing the song, okay? Um, but here's the deal. It is a fruit of the Spirit and it's not fruits of the Spirit. It's a fruit of the Spirit, meaning that we don't get to parse these out, right? We either have them or we don't. We either have love, we either have joy, we either have peace, or we do not have these things. So it's a fruit of the Spirit. It's not going away. It is inside the believer in Christ. But I believe what John just said is true. I think that those things can go to sleep. We do not lose joy, but joy can go to sleep, just like we do not lose love or peace or long-suffering, but they can go to sleep. And what the season of Advent is here to do for the believer in Jesus Christ is to wake us up to the realities of the things that we have to rejoice in, right? Like the season of Advent is here to say, yes, things are dark, but we're moving to light. Yes, this is not as it should be, but I am making all things new. Season of Advent comes to wake us up from our slumber. With the advent of Jesus, Jesus, the arrival of the Christ, we don't just get joy, we get great joy. We don't just get joy. You see, um, we get great joy. What, like, if we go back to the scripture that we read during worship, I bring you what? Good news is what the angel said of what? Great joy. This season of Advent, our joy is not just a simple joy, a joy that's going to be going away at any time. It's not a happiness. It is a great joy. I read an article a couple of years ago, and when I knew that I would be talking about joy with you guys on this particular Sunday, I had to go back and retrieve this article because, uh, man, he just said it better than I ever could. And in this article by Robert Mathis, he says a couple of things about joy. He tells us that um, uh, joy is littered throughout Scripture, and he tells us in this article how joy, how God is joy personified, but only here in this moment as God ushers in his son and his plan to redeem, do we find great joy in scripture? He then goes on to define great joy like this. He says, number one, great joy goes to great heights. The angel who heralds great joy is not alone. Suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is well pleased. And we note the great heights of this joy from the face of the earth all the way to the heights of heaven. Such news captivates not only lowly shepherds, but even the host of heaven, which the apostle Peter tells us wishes they could look into such things. They long to look into these kind of things that this creator God would have such a heart for his people that he would come down and put on flesh and bone. They long to look into such things. 
And as God's glory rises to the highest place, so does our joy. In both Matthew chapter 2 and Luke chapter 2, great joy comes together with worship and praise. The shepherds returned to the fields, glorifying and praising God for all that they had heard and seen. And the wise men, the wise ones, fell down and worshiped at the feet of the newborn baby Jesus. Great joy stirs up within the believer praise and worship that is high, that is lofty, knowing that even in this present age of confusion and chaos, hurt and loss, we have reason to sing, we have reason to celebrate. And even though it may not feel like it or look like it, every day, moment by moment, darkness is giving way to light. Number two, great joy goes to great lengths. Christmas joy goes to great lengths. This is good news of great joy that will be for all the people. Notice that it's for all the people, not just kings and high-ranking officials, but blue-collar shepherds, not just Jews, but Gentiles, even pagan astrologers like the wise men, um, black and white, women and men, laymen and clergy, plumbers and dentists. This is no tribal joy, but a, but a joy for all kinds of people in every place at every time. This is no small joy quarantined in Jerusalem, but a great joy extended and offered to all the nations. You see, we set in this season of Advent and we rejoice not just with a couple of hundred people on a few time slots on a Sunday in Tulsa, Oklahoma over a span of five weeks, but we rejoice with men and women around the world, across the globe. This is great joy and it goes to great lengths. Number three, lastly, great joy goes to great depths. Great joy goes to great depths. This great joy is a joy deeper than every fear and grief, deeper than every sorrow and pain. Before the, the angel announces to the shepherds the good news of great joy, these shepherds were in great fear. So this great joy comes into a world of great sin, great fear, great sorrow, great suffering. In fact, the, the child that we celebrate in this season, who is joy incarnate, as Isaiah would put it, it would be a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief, and it will be his great suffering that secures for us this great joy that we get to live in and experience. From his birth in Bethlehem to his death on a cross, this joy was great enough to be born in obscurity, be laid in a manger and have no place to lay his head. He would be rejected by his own people, delivered over by their authorities and betrayed by his own friends. But this great joy could not be extinguished and it cannot. It's too high, it's too long, it's too deep, even for death itself. And this joy is ours. This joy is given to us by our Savior. And our great joy is now with us to the end of the age. He's right here with us through it all, strengthening us in every fear, cheering us in every grief, holding us in all our suffering until the day he unseats every sorrow. And this Savior promises us that there is nothing that can take away that great joy. There's nothing. Yes, we hold this season in tension, this season of Advent in tension, because we know that sorrow exists. 
but we also know that the one who came in the form of a baby, the God who has existed for all of eternity, who put on flesh and bone and walks among us, we know that he brings such joy, a joy that is deep enough to sustain us through all of the struggles that this life can bring us. City Church, would you stand with me this morning? Joy exists, but it's not a feeling or emotion. Joy for the believer is Jesus. It's by him and through him that we experience joy. And in this season, we experience great joy because we're reminded that we have reason to rejoice. When you came in this morning, you should have received uh, communion elements. And here at City Church, we practice open communion. So can I just say to you that, man, if you have been walking out this life, trying to find the things that can sustain you, those things that you long for at the deepest of soul levels, and you have not found what you're looking for, could I suggest to you Jesus? Jesus promises joy, peace for the believer. And it's there and it's waiting for you. So give Jesus a try. Maybe you're in here this morning and you, you've surrendered your life to Christ and you've walked with him for a couple of weeks or a couple of decades or whatever it may be. But in this season, you feel like joy is evading you. Like no matter where you turn, what corner you go around, you cannot find it. Can I tell you, just stop. Stop and turn around. He's gone nowhere. He's right there beside you. And look into his face like you're looking into the face of the dearest of friends and let his joy just captivate you, take you over in this season. We want to make it so hard. But if you feel like that joy is gone, man, pray, God, I need to experience your joy. Something so good, do you think he would withhold? No, he's a good father. Scripture tells us that on the night that Jesus was betrayed, that he gathered in an upper room with some of his closest of friends. And as he sat down at the table, he took the bread and he lifted that bread up to heaven and he blessed it. And then he began to break it and pass it around the table and said, take, eat, this is my body broken for you. And we take the body today. In the same manner, after breaking the bread, Jesus took the cup and he looked at his friends around that table and he said, this cup represents my blood, a blood of a new covenant. For centuries, you've needed bulls and rams and goats and doves and pigeons to sacrifice so that their blood could cover you for a season. But he said, no longer is that needed because my blood is sufficient. 
and my blood doesn't cover you. It washes you white as snow. And we take the cup this morning. For the next few seconds, can we take a moment just to thank Jesus for what he's done? we continue to engage with this season of Advent, this season of celebrating the coming of our Lord and Savior. I pray that it would waken us to the realities of what faith in you looks like. that you did come, that you did walk among us, that you did go to the cross. But you didn't stay in a grave. You rose from that grave to secure for us our salvation, our right standing with the Father. May this simple act that we do as a church on a weekly basis be no small thing for us, but may it stir up rejoicing and praise to you because you're so worthy. You're so worthy. Because of your act, we can now stand here and say we are sons and we are daughters of the Most High God. God in heaven, I pray that as we close out this time together that we would be awakened to the realities of this season that you did come to bring us hope that you did come to bring us peace that you did come to secure for us eternal joy that cannot be taken away and I pray that if there are those in this space today that do not feel that kind of joy a joy of knowing you and being wrapped up in you, then God, would you wrap them up today? Would they not be able to walk out of this space without feeling your joy deep inside of them? I pray that for all of us in this space, for the follower in Christ, for those who are uncertain, that this season would bring us joy, joy that's inexpressible, it's unspeakable, almost without comprehension, that is full of glory. May that be true in our lives. 
Holy Spirit, we know that we cannot muster these things up on our own. We cannot muster up joy that can sustain us through every trial that we face on this planet. So we need your help. Would you come in and do a work in our lives? Would you remind us daily, hour by hour, moment by moment, of who Christ is, what he's done for us in this life? And would you give us the strength that we need to walk this life out in joy? And it's for your glory that we pray in the name that is matchless, the name of Jesus Christ. And everyone says, amen, amen. This time I wanna invite our prayer team down. If you need prayer for anything, um, we got some wonderful people that want to stand with you. And I can promise you, I know these people, they have your best intentions at heart. They love you so deeply. They are already praying for you, so why not let them pray with you, right? Um, if you're real quick, if you're a first time guest with us, one quick reminder for you, right across the lobby in our welcome room, our lead pastors, Matt and Lindsay Nelson, will be there. I uh, want to say hi to you, give you a free gift as our way of saying thank you for worshiping with us. Today, City Church, that's all I have for you. So let's end with our mission statement and go live it out wherever you are. Be the gospel. Love you guys.